0: You're listening to the Faith 2020 Podcast, helping you see 2020 clearly through the lens of faith. Now here's your host, Michael Ware.
1: This is the Faith 2020 Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ware. It's been another exciting week in the primary. We're past New Hampshire now, on our way to Nevada and South Carolina. And before we look ahead, let's just uh, recap a bit where we are Pete Buttigieg showed some some saying power uh, in this race, coming in uh, a close second to the winner. And I think who we have to acknowledge is is the front runner in this race, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, who has now uh, won the popular vote in Iowa. Though again, popular vote isn't what determines these things, but but it is notable. Came in second in delegates in Iowa, and then now we're we're looking at a first place finish in New Hampshire. Some people have been saying, well, in 2016, he won New Hampshire with 60% of the vote. And this time he couldn't even get 30. Well, we have five viable candidates uh, in, in this race. And uh, I don't see how you can spin coming in a close second and winning, you know, in the first two races into a bad thing. I think Bernie's in a strong position. We'll, we'll get to Nevada and South Carolina when you look at at least national polling. Bernie leads with Hispanic voters, and he's a close second with African Americans. And so, Bernie Sanders could be the Democratic nominee. Don't get it twisted. It, it, it's it's very uh, possible, and some might argue it's it's even likely at this point. And so, so that was the the top two. Uh, as I suggested on last week's episode, Senator Klobuchar's surge was real. She uh, came in with just about twenty percent of the vote in New Hampshire, which is you know a, pr- a pretty pretty good bounce, pretty impressive. I thought she had a chance to sneak into second place, but that didn't happen. But she was pulling back at fifth, sometimes sixth, just a, just a two or three weeks ago. So really impressive showing for her. And then we saw Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden coming in a, a really distant fourth and fifth place, Elizabeth Warren in a state that that borders her own. And I actually think Warren and Biden are in, are in somewhat similar positions here. As we move forward in this race, attention to these state polls is going to be quite intense. Uh, we're waiting this afternoon on the endorsement from the Culinary Workers Union in Nevada. Uh, that is something the Biden campaign has is, is counted on. If they don't get that endorsement, it becomes much more difficult to see Biden winning in Nevada. And then basically everything is riding, not for him to like suddenly become the front runner again, but for him to become salient again on winning South Carolina. and. If the Biden campaign sees their polling, their numbers slipping in South Carolina, I'm not sure it's in anyone's interest for for him to go that far, uh, for him to go through South Carolina, come in third or fourth or fifth, and that being the last sort of stage of this process for him. Again, I could be wrong. It, it's become a, a trope and sort of a... a common thing to say, but first two states that voted are extremely small, extremely white. The electorates are far more secular than what we're going to see really in both Nevada and in South Carolina. And so I wouldn't count the vice president, the former vice president out, uh, at least not at this point. We we really have to see how, how this polling comes through. I do think the Biden campaign is going to be I think Biden's going to want one more shot at a debate. I think the, they're probably thinking, you know, if it if it worked out, if if Amy Klobuchar was able to get a bump from a debate, let's put in all our chips in this debate in Nevada and and potentially, you know, South Carolina. But but it's uh, it's not going to be an easy road for for the vice president's campaign. Big reason for that is uh, Mayor Mike Bloomberg. I, I don't think I don't think he's going to be the nominee, but what he's doing is just flooding the zone. He's just uh, making it much more difficult for the kinds of bumps that we'd get from positive showings in uh, the, these primary states from debates. He's he's sort of taking some of the oxygen out just by spending so much money in these states. And so no, you know, it's not a matter just of voters seeing news about Amy Klobuchar coming in third and, and and being surging, you know that that may be a two minute segment on the news. It's bracketed by Mike Bloomberg ads, and so that's playing a significant role uh, in this as well. We do have, unlike in Iowa, uh, we have exit polls for, uh, for. New Hampshire that do cover religion and and what we saw in New Hampshire which again I just want to be this is a overwhelmingly white state and extremely secular state so uh, 48% of voters in New Hampshire according to the last exit poll I saw and and, uh, they update the exit polls uh, uh, based on statistical analysis as they as the full vote comes in, and as they're able to sort of sort of modulate, but uh, about forty-eight percent of New Hampshire primary voters never attend a religious service. That's a sign of sort of the the new emerging America and <laughs> um, sort of a new context that we're going to be seeing that would have been unthinkable twenty years ago. To have half of an electorate be completely unfamiliar. Uh, with with religious service as a not not just a routine part of their life, but but ever like Christmas, Easter. So a Bernie won won that category pretty pretty significantly. It was Amy Klobuchar who nearly doubled the the runner up among those who attend weekly. She got about thirty percent of primary voters that attend church weekly, which I, I think is significant. I do think these numbers will change when we get to Nevada, South Carolina, just because you're going to have a more robust and diverse religious population. In New Hampshire, you're, you're primarily talking about uh, Catholics and mainliners, and white Catholics and white mainliners. Um, and so so it's going to change, but it does tell tell you something about sort of the the, the lane that Klobuchar – might be, might be finding, and you know, this is the Faith Twenty Twenty podcast, so I'll, I will talk talk about this a, a bit more. Which is so often um, the religious vote is talked about, and this, by the way, applies to other communities as well, other constituencies. But the religious vote we talk about as though it's a direct relationship with policy positions, when really the faith community in general, especially you know, the faith electorate in a place like New Hampshire is going to be responsive to the basic disposition of the candidate. Faith voters tend to care more about decency, meaning that they, 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 they rank that higher. They rank civility higher. They rank sort of getting along together tends to be a high. And of course, these are these are very rough sort of stereotypes. Or generalities, but they're also true. Uh, you, you look at faith voters compared to non-religious voters. A concern for institutions is much higher among those who attend weekly. Concern for norms, uh, stability is is a is a concern. I think Senator Klobuchar stepping into quite quite a bit of that. Uh, our, our guest this week is John Ward. And we're going to get to that interview very soon. But but John actually, right after our interview, and he mentions it a bit, uh, ran a piece. And again, John Ward, a senior political correspondent for Yahoo News, he wrote a piece. Uh, the headline is, Klobuchar's big, tense stance on abortion could appeal to Southern Democrats. Now, what he's referring to is uh, we've had another rash of sort of uh, abortion politics conversations basically started with a Fox News town hall that Pete Buttigieg had, where Kristen Day, the executive director of Democrats for Life, asked him a question about platform language, whether he'd welcome platform, whether he'd support platform language that was more supportive and welcoming of pro-life Democrats to the party without changing the party's pro-choice policy stance. And Pete basically said no. Uh, It was a you know, a uh, longer answer. But that the basic gist was to, to, A, not directly answer the question, and then, B, to respond with sort of his typical lines uh, uh, about the issue. He then went to The View, where Meghan McCain grilled him. And then, after Iowa, Nayroll held a cattle call event to lock in the candidates once more, trying to get them to say, uh And say what NARAL wants to hear before a primary and right the point, the point of these events are not to help the candidates. (laughs) The point of these events are to try and lock in these candidates into positions they can't wiggle out of in a general. The point is to get them on the record in a way that they could be held accountable to when they're, when they're in office. Bernie Sanders made news for his answer about whether there could be such a thing as a pro-life Democrat, as if as if it's a like a not a factual matter, <laughs> like as if it's a values judgment as to whether there can. Well, there are tens of millions of Democrats who are registered as Democrats who are pro-life. We have a governor in Louisiana who's pro-life. And so, yeah, I'd say they're Yes, there can be a poor life Democrat because they they exist in the world they're out in the wild. It's so amazing these all, all, all of a sudden like you know these questions turn turn uh metaphysical <laughs> when when the, when the answer's right there but anyways Bernie basically says no he said in this day and age, something like that he said in in this time, given our place, given the time we're in in history, whatever the Heck, that means uh, being pro-choice is essential to being a Democrat. So there was some press around that. And then Chris Crawford, a friend of the Faith 2020 podcast, saw Amy Klobuchar on the campaign trail, asked her what she thought, and she said yes, yes, talked about her work with the Adoption Caucus, uh, the Senate. Brief side note, I had, and uh, maybe I'll talk about this a bit more in another episode, but I had the pleasure of working with Senator Klobuchar on adoption policy. Uh, it, when I was at the White House, and so she, she wasn't lying to Chris. Uh, she, it, this really, this really became a key issue for her, and something that she worked on a lot. She was the chief sponsor of a bill called the International Adoption Simplification Act, and so she she has been has been leading here. And she said, "Yeah, we we're a big time party." That that's the the key nugget of, of John Ward's piece here, suggesting that Klobuchar's openness to people who disagree on social issues could help her in the south where even if you're a pro-choice democrat in South Carolina you definitely have pro-life friends in a way that it may not it is not necessarily true in a place like uh Iowa or New Hampshire, especially New Hampshire, though, again, both both Iowa and New Hampshire have significant Catholic pockets. And so it's not that straightforward. But you, you get my my point. South Carolina is a is a place where they just ha- have had to navigate pro-life politics in, in in a different in a different way. And so we'll see if that's right. We'll see if Klobuchar is able to able to capitalize on that. I mean, none, none of the other candidates have done so. Joe Biden is so scared of his his record on the issue that he's no longer really willing to say what he's always said and you, you know there there's uh, some some grounding for that i think the left is just waiting for for biden to indicate that any of his prior positions might still carry some kind of weight uh, with him but but he's basically the appeals to social moderates and social conservatives are basically about his past and sort of reading into his basic disposition, he's not able to, or at least he hasn't shown a willingness to, to press the party in any way on these issues. And then none of the other candidates, Elizabeth Warren, has over the last couple of months has uh, made quite clear that she's not interested in, in the votes of uh, folks who, who disagree with her on that issue. And Bernie, even with this latest statement, even though Bernie's someone who is Typically suggested that he's, he's, he's willing to make some concessions or not push so hard on social issues so long as uh, if, if it helps him to advance economic change. He wants to see he's not been sort of indicating that as much and so it's just going to be interesting to see how how that plays out if sort of social moderation is still salient in a democratic primary or or if uh, it's more of a burden than a boom. Alright, well look, we got Nevada we got a debate in Nevada next week. The caucus is on uh Saturday, then we'll have a South Carolina debate, and South Carolina will vote and then, then we'll be into Super Tuesday. I'd be very surprised if the field uh looked if, if the top all of the top five candidates were still in the race, plus Bloomberg, plus Steyer. Some of these folks are gonna need to drop out based on how Nevada and South Carolina are either shaping up or how they actually turn out and so the field will kind of reset. The thing is we could go into Super Tuesday with not a whole lot of not a whole lot to go on in terms of what for instance an Elizabeth Warren dropping out means for the other candidates in the race. And then obviously Bloomberg's going to be a big, you know, it is the support that he's showing, you know, real, will it hold up? Um, and can he count on it? Or is it just, you know, voters haven't tuned in yet in Super Tuesday states? And, you know, Bloomberg's just been on TV all the time. We'll we'll, we'll just have to see. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk to John Ward, who just uh, was in New Hampshire for the days leading up to the primary. Uh, will continue to be on the trail. As I said, he's been been writing on um, uh, Klobuchar for his last couple of articles, but uh, he also wrote a great story about Cornell West and the role that, that Cornell West has been playing in, in Bernie's campaign. And, and so we're going to get his read on what happened in New Hampshire and what sort of the path is moving forward. This is the Faith 2020 Podcast. All right, John Ward. John Ward is the senior political correspondent for Yahoo News. He writes about politics, culture, and religion. Uh, He is the author of a fantastic book, Camelot's End, a book released in 2019 about the epic clash between Ted Kennedy and Jimmy Carter for the Democratic nomination in 1980. Uh, He also hosts a really insightful podcast called The Long Game, where. He's looking at sort of the role our institutions play in our politics and and why our politics is broken, how to fix it. And I'd really recommend that podcast to you. Uh, John lives in D.C. with his lovely wife, their kids. Here it is, my interview with my friend, John Ward. This is the Faith Twenty Twenty podcast, and we're thrilled to have uh, John Ward with us. John, how are you, buddy? Mike, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing doing really well. Uh, it was quite quite a a, a night last night. It, now uh, you you were in New Hampshire over the last few days, right?
0: Yeah, I uh, flew up to Boston on Saturday and drove up uh, that afternoon. So, John, what what were you picking up over the last few days, and and?
1: Were your sort of intuitions confirmed by the results uh, of, of the primary or d- did did something surprise you that you didn't that you didn't really see ha- happening uh, on the ground as you were visiting you know, events and talking with voters?
0: I'd say there was a little bit of both. Um, my intuition was confirmed because, you know, traveling around, going to some Biden events, it was clear, you know, compared, uh, com- combined with the polling numbers, it was clear uh, that he was on the descent, and you know, polling numbers are one thing, but then you go to the events and you see the full Monty, the full, the full like beginning to end uh, <laughs> yeah. a- event. You get a real feel for the candidate and and for how crowds are responding. You talk to voters. That really is the best way to sort of get a 360 degree view as best as possible uh, of how things are going. And so, you know, Sunday I went to two different Biden events. And he was he was just sort of very depressing to listen to, Uh, you know, voters said that he talked a lot about um, cancer, about, uh, you know, different things that he's been through. But there just wasn't there wasn't a coherence to his stump speech. He um, talked at length about, you know, how the common law in the 13th century was changed that, you know, women could be uh beaten only if you have only if you beat them with a rod smaller than the circumference of your knuckle. I mean that was literally actually something that he was talking about during a stump speech 3 days before the primary, just not not compelling and um and meandering and and just not a great vibe. So I wasn't surprised by the Biden result and then on Monday uh I actually went to a a, a warren event and then straight from there to a Klobuchar event. And that was really telling because, again, the polling was, was there showing movement, but the Warren event felt a bit lifeless and uh, joyless. And there's also just things you pick up from a candidate's campaign staff and how they're, how they're running the event and, and how, they, how they just sort of Set things up, just very small nuanced things that maybe it 's possible to read too much into, but you know, and then you go to the Klobuchar event, and there was just a, a real positive vibe. Her stump speech, once you see it for yourself in contrast to another candidate's her her stump speech was both substantive but also had humor in it. Uh, it was just a really nice mix of um, substantive policy proposals mixed with self-deprecating humor, mixed with uh, a very clear call to unite the party and the country, and a clear call um, to people who feel overlooked, which is a key part of Trump's appeal, um, that she's going to fight for them. Uh, You know, her biggest challenge, really, or one of her biggest challenges is convincing Democrats that she is their best option or one of their best options to beat Trump, that she could actually stand on a debate stage. This goes for all the candidates, quite frankly, stand on a debate stage next to Trump and actually go toe to toe. So, you know, she's, she's making that effort. I think she's making some good strides in doing so, but there's a lot of, you know, the, the, the fight really begins in earnest for her now. Yes. Yeah.
1: I, I, I got the sense that uh, the, the last, the, the New Hampshire debate, helped her make some progress toward that end. People saw her, you yes. know, really taking it to, to to Buttigieg, especially, but also Bernie. And, and I think people saw like, oh, maybe she can go toe to toe with Trump. I do think the Nevada debate next week is going to be another clear moment, because I think the expectation is now she's going to, for really the first time in this race, take some incoming and we'll see if she could absorb and kind of redirect uh attacks as as well as she can uh sort of dish it out i i have to say i've been a little surprised by how incisive she is in these debates i mean she is a prosecutor uh you, you know but but it's she's she's um She's pretty crafty in these debates, and in in really getting some some jabs in in and, in and, uh, pretty convincing ways. Uh, do, do you uh, you know as this race moves to Nevada, South Carolina, you know obviously so much of the conversation has been around Pete Buttigieg. In some ways, his support is broad, right? You look at these exit polls, and he's getting comparable support from moderates and liberals. He's getting support from those who want to. Uh, uh, beat Trump and those that want people uh, who want a candidate who agrees with them on policy uh, where he's not getting a breadth of support is racially he's doing poorly in polling with African-Americans with Hispanic voters and now the race goes in Nevada and South Carolina Pete's going to be tested in that way Klobuchar, though it hasn't been as much of a theme of her campaign, I think folks are realizing, oh, you know, her poll numbers don't look that much, that much better. Is she going to be able to reach these voters? How do you expect to see Klobuchar, in particular, try and expand her base so that she can be viable in these two important states that are coming up that'll set up, you know, whether she can go into Super Tuesday or? um uh, or or whether, you know, New Hampshire was the peak of her campaign.
0: Wow. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on there. I mean, if obviously the best outcome for really kind of voters who who don't like Bernie, who don't think he can beat Trump, uh, is that either Klobuchar or Buttigieg emerges from Nevada and South Carolina, one of the two as a clear sort of consensus of the non-Bernie wing of the party. Um, That's a tall order because they're both Buddha judge and Klobuchar both have their own assets and qualities. uh, They both have weaknesses, which you just talked about. They're standing with African-American voters. I would say Klobuchar's standing with black voters has, is a little more untested than Buddha judge just because she has not been a factor in the race until now. Um, You know, one thing that I've noticed her doing over the last week is sending clear signals on the issue of abortion and choice and uh, basically saying that the, the Democratic Party needs to have room and make room for pro-life voters. Remains to be seen whether that plays at all with the African-American electorate. Um, yep. But, you know, older African-American voters are more culturally Uh, and religiously conservative. So that's a possible play there. I do think she has more, you know, obviously she has more of a record to stand on and it's going to be really interesting to see in the debate, how the two of them sort of uh, negotiate the balance between, you know, trying to push the other out while also not uh, hurting themselves too much by going too negative. But there is a clear imperative here for both of them to try to consolidate uh, their share of the vote. I mean, they, they split up 44% of the vote last night compared to 26% for Bernie. Mm-hmm. This is a repeat of what we saw in 2016 with the Republicans in some ways where Trump was able to win – all of the early primaries with about 30%, sometimes under 30% because the rest of the vote was being split amongst different candidates. So it's really imperative for them to consolidate that non-Bernie vote uh, because he is able, if they don't consolidate, to to both gather ahead of steam by being the plurality winner and also to gain a delegate lead. So, you know, Nevada, she doesn't have a choice. She's got to fight there, and that you're right. The debate is going to be uh, very, very important and very interesting. Yeah, uh, we should talk about Bernie. Obviously, he
1: won the popular vote in Iowa, which is you know not the aim of, of these candidates, but, but but significant. And then obviously he won in what was a closer than expected contest than than I, I was uh, than I thought it would be. I thought Bernie would get thirty thirty two percent. And, and 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 Pete would be well. First, I thought it was possible that Klobuchar could over over overtake Pete, but then and then secondly, yeah. I thought that they'd be more eight ten points behind. And instead, Pete fought Bernie uh, uh, kind of down to the wire. Uh, but it's hard not to look at Bernie as if not the sole front runner, certainly the candidate who's in. Uh, you know, the strongest position at, at this point, uh, how do you see things developing for him? Uh, it, you you, fo- you followed, you reported on 2016 very closely. There have been comparisons uh, to sort of the Trump situation that everyone kept on waiting for the cavalry to come in and that sort of the uh, the, the institution of the party was going to shut down Trump, and that never happened. Uh, you, you've also t- talked a lot about institutions. Is, is the Democratic Party strong enough to prevent Bernie from getting this nomination? Uh, do, do, is there enough sort of will and, and uh, leverage within the party establishment to, to, to keep Bernie from, from taking this nomination?
0: Well, I think if the question is, does the Democratic Party have the type of pull with, say, Buttigieg or or Klobuchar to call on them to to one of them to, to get behind the other, I think clearly not, especially at this stage of the race. Huh. Uh, another question would be, you know, can they lean on somebody like Warren or Biden to throw their support behind one of those candidates? Uh, again, I don't think the party has the kind of – It's just not really how politics works anymore as much as, uh, you know, it probably would be for the best of party strength. Um, There's just too many incentives and tools for candidates to be pulled by and to use um, that makes it very hard to to say it's in their self-interest or in the, the party's interest for them to get out. Um, So I think it's more of a decision they would come to on their own rather than being, you know, incentivized or or pressured by the party. Um, And I think, you know, when you talk about Sanders as the frontrunner, yes, he is the frontrunner in some ways. But um, I think one thing that will be interesting is, you know, how organized is he in Nevada? And if the rest of the party remains split you know, is he able to kind of not only maybe win there, but uh, win decisively, that would be a huge boost for him. And then when you turn to South Carolina, you know, he didn't do well with black voters in 2016. But I think he has um, worked at it to try to, to do better with black voters. And I think South Carolina will be the real test there of whether that has paid off. And so I think that, you know, South Carolina could end up being incredibly important for him. If he's able to demonstrate viability with black voters, that would be a real shot in the arm for him. And if the rest of the party remains split at that point, then even if there's a lot of hand-wringing and heartburn over his ability to beat Trump or the inability of the, you know, a lot of people think he can't beat Trump because he's too far left or whatever, you know, I, I think they they wouldn't have a whole lot to be able to stop him except for the fact. That we haven't even talked about, Mike Bloomberg yet, yeah. and uh, I think if if the party remains split among the non-Bernie vote after South Carolina, I think that's when you see, you know, on Super Tuesday, Bloomberg try to come in and serve as a backstop against Sanders. Yeah, sure. Well, John, where
1: do you where do you head from here? Are you going to stay on the trail, and and what are you looking for? Uh, is is there anything that maybe isn't top of mind for? the listeners of this podcast, when they think about the next week or two of the primary that, that that you're really looking at?
0: Well, I think, you know, probably one of the biggest questions is, does Biden stay in bef- until South Carolina? If his poll numbers in South Carolina tank over the next week, and, you know, another question is, how many polls are there going to be out of South Carolina? But if his numbers really tank hard, and it looks like he's headed for another fifth place finish there, does he stay in all the way through South Carolina? Yeah, and I think the same the same question goes for Warren, you know, does she see a path to anything for her, or uh you know what's her motivation possibly to stop Bernie? Does she want to stop Bernie? I don't know, I don't know her psychology, I don't know the relationship well enough, but I think that's a really interesting question um and you know whether or not Biden and Warren stay in uh that will that will um that will that will play a big role. I mean, but those voters could still end up being split between Buttigieg and Klobuchar if things kind of keep going the way they are right now. And so I think that sort of drives home to the to the next and final question, which is: Can either of those two candidates separate themselves from the other uh, and 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 drive a clear contrast that's effective in in pulling over support from the other? Right.
1: I, I think your point about Biden is exactly exactly right. I, I find it the polling, both internal and public polling that that they're seeing from South Carolina. If they start seeing his support collapsing in South Carolina, I find it very difficult to believe that they're going to want or you know allow uh, the vice president, to, uh, the former vice president, to sort of go through an embarrassment in South Carolina uh, when. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, some external pressure sort of making that that case um, o- over the coming days. So uh, I too, John, am, am eager to see some polling out of South Carolina. Uh, yeah. Some some of the national numbers are are holding up. There was the Quinnipiac poll that showed Biden's support among African Americans nationally getting cut in half. But then there are other numbers that show him in in a close second with with Bernie nationally, which might provide some encouragement for him to at least. Sort of stay in through through South Carolina and see how it goes, but but I, I do think that's a that's a critical critical question, uh, John. I can't thank you enough for for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for the work uh, that you do. Uh, we're going to be following your reporting
0: uh, over the coming weeks and months, and am uh, uh, so so grateful for your insight. Thank you, Mike. It's always great to to talk with you, and, and thanks for all your great work at uh, Reclaiming Hope. Love the newsletter. Hey, appreciate it, man. Okay, we'll talk soon.
1: I really appreciate how John uh, set that up for us. Again, we do our best to bring to you some of the best uh, journalists uh, covering 2020. And we're going to continue to do that. And John's just an exemplar at the head of the class. And so we're so grateful for him. I would again urge you to check out his book, Camelot's End. It has a lot of relevancy to politics today. And just for history buffs, that carter Kennedy primary is just one of the most fascinating races of the last century, in my view. I mean, it, it, it was uh, incredible to learn about that from John. All right. Well, like I said, you know, we're going to try and continue to do weekly episodes, at least through Super Tuesday, uh, just because so much news is is coming out. And so thank you for listening. Would really help us out for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps us build momentum and let your friends know you're listening to the podcast. More people who are listening, the, the 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 better we're going to be able to to do a, a covering what we need to cover. Uh, but when uh, we're not putting out new episodes of the podcast, in in between episodes of the podcast, I would again remind you to uh, sign up for the newsletter I run with Melissa, and my wife, and you can do that at reclaiminghope.substack.com, and I provide all kinds of analysis. Uh, curate uh, news and articles, so you don't have to be looking through 25 different websites every morning. You can just kind of uh, know what's happening uh, for the week ahead, get the best in political commentary, and get exclusive analysis uh, from me as 2020 rolls out. All right, that's all I have for you. It's been uh, a real joy, joy to talk with John, joy to talk with all of you. Until next week, this is The Faith 2020 Podcast.